0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, I think it may be time for you to eat a slice of humble pie and admit that you were wrong. On Saturday night at the O2 Arena in London, Floyd Mayweather toyed with Aaron Chalmers over eight rounds, keeping him at bay so easily, He went the full Drederick Tatum route and spent part of the quote-unquote contest parking two spectators ringside while easily keeping Chalmers at bay. Chalmers was so befuddled and beaten that all he could say afterwards was, he's effing unbelievable. It's a great thing to tell the grandkids. Eight rounds with Floyd Mayweather is good for the resume. So it seems to me, Eric, that there's a young man who was happily watching the Super Bowl, to whom you might want to apologize after using this podcast last week to suggest he was wildly erroneous in his comment during the Super Bowl that Floyd is the best boxer ever. Are you prepared to concede he was right?
0: Yeah, you know, I I, I may have jumped the gun with with my reaction to what he said. I mean, do you know how many stars of Jordy Shore and X on the Beach Sugar Ray Robinson defeated? Zero. Henry Armstrong? Muhammad Ali, Willie Pep, I could go on. Uh, I mean, this run that Floyd is on of Don Moore, Deji, Chalmers, epic stuff. He's TBE, Kieran. I'm falling in line. Uh, Also, you know, while I'm rethinking some things, I've decided to move Ernest Goes to Camp ahead of The Godfather on my movie rankings. And uh, also, you know, the Beatles, they were good but they are now number two behind Color Me Bad. Uh, You you can't get stuck in the past, Karen. You have to be willing to reassess and change with the times. And until I see a photo of Ray Robinson in a TBE hat or a clip of him toying with a reality TV personality, number two is the highest I can rate him i'm pretty sure that henry armstrong was on love island uh, <laughs> yes. or survivor or one of those Or milf island milf, man- milf <laughs> Manor. milf <laughs> manor being the, the real life version milf, of milf island
1: milf manor. oh my goodness yes <laughs> hey we mocked but hey good luck to floyd if he can keep doing it and make a bunch of money and make people happy what the hell man I don't. yes uh, he's pretty honest about what he's doing here so
0: yeah listen I, i've said this before and i will say it again uh floyd not the goat but the most successful boxer ever, without a doubt, and his continuing paychecks to quote-unquote fight the guys he's quote-unquote fighting, that just keeps padding his lead in that category. (laughs) It definitely does. It definitely does.
1: Um, We have a packed show coming up. Uh, with lots of boxing actual boxing to talk about and some sort of quasi boxing actually come (laughs) to think of it um we will look ahead to next saturday's showtime championship boxing card headlined by brandon figueroa taking on mark mcsayo um we will look back on this weekend's action including a win for subriel matias and a defeat for jake paul um we have a fantastic interview like a really fantastic interview that you will not want to miss um i hit eric with a top five challenge and subject him to the fight game but first, let's start with the big news of the week, which is that Javante Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia is signed, sealed and delivered set for Showtime pay-per-views from Las Vegas on April 22nd.
0: Yep, uh, exhale, everyone. It was a long road getting here, uh, <laughs> but we no longer have to hear about this or that remaining hurdle in negotiations. The fight is on. One week later than what had been the working date of April fifteenth, and interesting reporting from Dan Raphael on that. That everyone wanted an eight-week promotional window, so as negotiations dragged on, they started to look at April twenty-second instead. But then that required Showtime to change some things on its broadcasting schedule. Anyway. Hopefully this is the last I will speak of the behind the scenes of making the fight happen. Hopefully now we can all focus on the fight itself, which will be at a weight limit of 136 pounds... 12 rounds, despite there being no title at stake, uh, further proof that you don't need belts to make yep. an event huge. You need fighters with big fan bases and a matchup that people find compelling. And this provides all of that. Javante's proven he can sell out just about any arena in the U.S. and can do 200,000-plus pay-per-views against any opponent. Ryan Garcia has over 9 million Instagram followers and brings a distinct fan base to the table. Both are undefeated. Davis has 26 KOs in 28 wins. Garcia has 19 and 23 wins. That's an 88% combined KO rate. And both have faced good opponents to prove something, but not great opponents to prove everything. Mm. And this fight represents that best opponent yet for both of them. And both are young. Uh, Garcia especially at 24. Davis at 28. And last thing, it's been said by everyone the last few months, uh, but uh, I'll say it one more time myself, massive credit to Ryan Garcia for pushing for this fight, for yeah. forcing his promoter to make it, for refusing to accept any other option. Uh, so we will have uh, another eight weeks now to, to talk about it. Uh, we could probably find a different angle to discuss on the pod each of those weeks if we wanted to. There is a, a lot to look forward to here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, very happy to see it made, obviously. Um, and yes, at this stage, otherwise, not a tremendous amount to say. It's a fight we've been wanting to get done. It's a fight we've talked about a lot. It is, as you mentioned, a fight we will talk about a lot more. And uh, added to that, uh, Devin Haney today stated that he and Vasily Lomachenko should be set to go on May 20th, uh, which was a date that I think we had previously mentioned on the podcast has been a possibility. So the four princes, or at least three thereof, and the wise old king, <laughs> They're starting to get together, as we have been anxiously waiting for them to do.
0: Yes, yes. this is a, a, Exciting times ahead, certainly. Uh, Alright, let's talk about the rest of the weeks outside the ring news before we move on to fight reviews and previews. Uh, we have just a few items, all of them with a British theme. Uh, Michaela Mayer will face Christina Linardatu of Greece as the co-main event of the Joe Joyce Zhang heavyweight clash in London on ESPN Plus on April 15th. This will be Mayer's first fight since her close loss to Alicia Baumgartner, and her first fight at lightweight as she moves up from 130. Genebek Alim Kanuli has been ordered to defend his middleweight strap against Liverpool's Liam Smith, although, as we noted recently, Chris Eubank Jr. triggered the rematch clause after his stoppage loss to Smith, so Smith is also obligated to face him, so... Someone's mandate is getting ignored. Uh, and lastly, the WBC has decided to reinstate Connor Ben to its rankings, apparently accepting the Ben team's argument that the reason he tested positive for clomiphene prior to his aborted matchup with the aforementioned Eubank Jr. is that he had been eating an enormous amount of eggs. The British Boxing Board of Control, however, has said it is not ready to follow suit and accept the excuse. Kieran, you are our resident sort of British person. Uh, What's your take on this week's British-themed news undercard? Well, the important item is, is the Ben situation, although I think the most important
1: thing about this particular news development is it once again highlights the absurdity of the WBC and thus by inference all the other sanctioning bodies. Sure, it can reinstate Ben to its rankings, but to what end? It makes no difference unless the relevant governing body restores his license. Their act is of literally no consequence at all other than to try to interpose themselves into the situation. They did exactly the same with Gerald Big Baby Miller um, and to confuse the situation and to act as a tacit endorsement of Ben's camp's claims. Um, Other than that, look, I mean, the BC said that it took, even they admitted it took months to receive any kind of satisfactory explanation from Ben. Um, They said that they consulted with several experts in anti-doping analysis, but I wonder if they consulted with anyone who could explain to them where Ben sourced these eggs, because although clomiphene is sometimes used to increase egg production in hens, and studies have shown that that can result in minute traces in the human consumers of those eggs, clomiphene is not, in fact, permitted to be used in farm animals in the United Kingdom. So maybe he was importing his eggs that he was eating, or perhaps he was eating a egg-heavy supplement from China, in which case dude, what the hell are you doing? You know, and that's the other thing. The WBC doesn't have the, it's up to the athlete to pay attention to what he or she is putting in their body clause that just about everybody else does. So will we get to the bottom of all of this? I don't know. I mean, remember the whole uh, incident with Tyson Fury and his disappearance from the sport and the farmer who said he was paid $25,000 right. to say that, you know, he'd fed, Fury, uncastrated wild boar. I mean, I don't know. I am not sure we'll ever get to the end bottom of it. Um, dollars to donuts. Ben ends up getting quietly reinstated, and everybody pretends nothing happened because it's boxing, right? Right.
0: <laughs> that is that is usually <laughs> the way of things. I, I'll just note uh, that uh, Rocky Balboa ate a lot of eggs, and he never tested positive for caffeine. Nah. So, draw, draw. He wasn't now. on Love Island either, <laughs> as far as we know. As far as we know uh all right <laughs> uh you, you you didn't want to comment on the other uh news we should uh we should get uh keep it moving here no 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 i'll just i'll just stick with that I mean,
1: otherwise, yes. Hooray! Good to see Michaela Mayer, and um, we'll see if Liam. You know, and see the Liam Smith Yannobek news. That's exactly why we were ragging on, you know, uh, uh, rematch clauses, because I think Liam Smith right. should be free to go ahead and fight Alan Connelly and try and get himself a, a, an alphabet belt if he so wants. But it's not up to him. It's up to Eubank Junior to decide whether um, he, he exercises that rematch clause, and that's why rematch clauses are bad.
0: Although I guess it's uh, also kind of up to Liam Smith to just decide which one's going to make him the most money since that's the ultimate goal, more so than belts. There is that, indeed. Yes. Uh, Okay, so that is the outside the ring news. Uh, We also have some fights to recap this week. And let's bridge that gap by talking about that high-profile Sunday affair that fell somewhere in between a news story and an actual sporting event, Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury in Saudi Arabia. And we had a mild upset. Paul is unbeaten no longer. He knocked Fury down with a jab in the eighth and final round, but it wasn't enough. The split decision went to Fury 76-73 twice and 75-74 for Paul. Both fighters were penalized a point along the way. So uh, Fury improves to 9-0, while Paul falls to 6-1. Now, full disclosure, I did not watch this fight. I was uh, following along on social media. I saw some takes. I watched some clips. But uh, Kieran... You suffered through this, Uh, so you will have to provide the analysis. Was it as bad as Twitter made it sound? Did Fury deserve the victory? And any other thoughts? Uh,
1: First of all, yes, Fury did deserve the victory. I scored it 75-74 for him. Um, It was a little difficult to keep up with all the point deductions and whatnot. Um, I think 75-74 for him was about as close as as it could be, really. I thought the scorecards were all pretty good. The first thing I will say is, however bad you think Jake Paul and Tommy Fury are at boxing, Hector Afu is way worse at refereeing. Um, From the first round, it was painfully obvious that this was a guy who was going to interject himself into the event far too much. Um, He insisted on lecturing them every time he, he broke them instead of just breaking them. You know the and 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 it continued all the way through the point deductions were absurd he was trying his best i think to to ruin what was seemingly a fun event for everybody ringside um but anyway uh as for the fight itself yeah by the standards of a pay-per-view main event it was dreck but we expected that right. for a fight between an eight O guy and a six and oh guy well gordon hall wouldn't have booked it for showbox <laughs> and if he had it wouldn't have been the fight of the night but it was fine for what it was. It, it had some drama, um, including including all of that caused by the ref. It, it had the underdog Fury performing, I thought, better than he'd done before. Actually, quite a bit better than before. Using the jab and movement and keeping his punches compact and short, even as he made all kinds of elemental mistakes. Um, it was fine. Um, and it shows what we all knew. It's one thing beating over-the-hill MMA as a boxing, but even a pretty dog standard boxer is an entirely different animal um right. this does not mean that Jake paul is not a real boxer he is a real boxer he's in there boxing um perhaps he's even more of a real boxer now because he did what boxers do often he tried to take a step up and he lost right so now it's up to him whether he wants to go back to the gym and improve and try and come back stronger um You know, it sounded in the immediate aftermath that that's what he wants to do. But we'll see whether his fans will follow along with him now that they know what we all know, um, which is that Paul is not going to be the next pound for pound. Great. I don't know. Maybe they don't care. Um, I will say this, though. I have come around to really kind of hoping he sticks around. I I Hmm. think he's on balance pretty good for boxing. He's giving other fighters opportunities. And none of the other boxes on this card would be getting the payday they presumably got without him. Um, So, you know, good luck to both Fury and Paul, who definitely put a lot of effort into this. Fury was quite emotional afterwards, and uh, he is now the undefeated, undisputed WBC Diraya belt holder. So (laughs) there you go. Um, And special shout out, by the way, to Badu Jack who showed what true world-class boxing is all about in the co when he put an absolute whooping on Olinga Makabu in the co So there you go. That's what I got to say about that. All right. Um, so a week ago, we talked about how a terrific fight ended with a somewhat controversial corner stoppage when Lee Wood trainer Ben Davison stepped into Woods' bout against Mauricio Lara with just seconds remaining in the seventh round. On Saturday night, at the Armory in Minneapolis, the Showtime Championship boxing 140 pound main event got off to a tremendous start when Jeremiah's Ponce tore into superior Matias in the first round. Matias recovered, however, with a strong second. Ponce may have edged a close third. Matias regained the ascendancy in the fourth and then dropped to seemingly fatiguing Ponce in the fifth. And at the end of that round, Ponce's corner stopped the fight. With the win, Matias climbs to 19-1 and one with 19 KOs, while Ponce suffers his first defeat and falls to 30-1 and one with 20 KOs. Eric, this was shaping up to be a great fight, I thought, until the stoppage. What did you think of that decision by his corner and any other thoughts about the fight?
0: It is interesting that this happened again so soon after yeah. Lara Wood, another thrilling fight that got stopped by the corner soon after a single knockdown. And uh, my reaction is similar. It's a shame hmm. for the fans. Um, probably the hurt fighter was in legit trouble and wasn't going to come back and win, but you never know for sure. I guess in Ponce's corner, his trainer saw something he really didn't yeah. like, um, or maybe Ponce wasn't in peak condition for this fight and he knew it. I mean, it would seem unlikely, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if that was the case, the trainer would know, um, and, and maybe figured once he starts to fade and tire, he's not going to unfade. So, as a fan, it was frustrating that it didn't reach a more decisive conclusion, but I I tend to fall back on the trainer knows his fighter and Ponce sure wasn't objecting, so why should I? Um you know, except as a fan. As as a fan I can object because it was so darn fun. Uh, it it felt to me during the first round when Ponce was just going nuts on Matias, like Matias was just kind of waiting him out. Uh, he, he never appeared <sighs> in trouble. Um, but then just unreal back and forth action the next three rounds in close, no holding, not much jabbing, bombs away, and Matthias's power started breaking through in spots. He seemed to wobble Ponce just a bit at the end of the second, and he landed a heavy left hook at the belt to end the fourth. It seemed a left hook to the temple was the main punch that led to the knockdown in the fifth. And um, one notable thing watching the ending back was that after Ponce got up and Matias had about seven seconds or so on the clock left to try to finish him at the end of the fifth round, Ponce was not punching back at all. Mm. Um, mm. He looked exhausted, and, and I guess his mm. corner saw that. So, um for once, here we are with no true fight-of-the-year candidates uh, in, in a weekend, <laughs> but this was a fight that maybe could have been a fight-of-the-year candidate if it had gone on a little longer. Um, but... I certainly came in very high on Subriel Matias, and I leave very high on him, and he's probably about as ready as he's going to be to fight a a Taylor or a Progray and and see if he can hang with the the very best at 140. Uh, But I'll kick it back to you, Kieran. Uh, What are your thoughts on the fight or the finish, and is Matias in the running for the title of most exciting fighter in the game right now?
1: He's right up there, isn't he? Um, You know, 100% of his wins to play at knockout, um, his one loss, which had arguably extenuating circumstances, has been avenged. He's consistently exciting. Um, yeah, I, my thoughts on the stoppage are very much the same as yours, in that I found it strangely abrupt, more so even than last week's. But I could also see that Ponce might just have completely emptied the gas tank there in his attempt to get rid of Matthias early. And I noticed that we, we caught the early part of the conversation in the corner and then cut away, and they weren't talking about stopping it then. i even the same as you. I think that Ponce kind of did that giving them the kind of signs that right. he was done without saying he was done kind of thing, right? And yeah. and the corner picked up on that. It would be my guess, because Ponce was awfully content with the stoppage afterwards. So yeah, that, that would be my inclination. I think without actually saying anything, um, Ponce kind of perhaps signaled with his body language or something to the trainer that, that, that he was done and he didn't particularly want to go out there. Um, but yeah, to get back to Matthias, You know, you said you were very high on him going in. I don't know about you, but every so often I I find that it takes me a bit too long to move on from an early impression that I set for myself of a boxer, Mm. you know, and and honestly, that's been the case with me and, and Matthias when we first started to discuss him a couple of years ago. You know, he was coming off that loss to Petrus Ananian in which he seemed strangely sluggish. And that itself came a couple of fights after Maxime Dadashev had died from injury, sustained in a fight against Matias. And I wondered if maybe, you know, that Dadashev that, that uh, situation had, had taken something out of, out of Matias, and maybe he wasn't, you know, quite as good as it looked like he might be. But then he continued to go out there and win by KO. He avenged that loss. And I started to change my opinion, but I still think I wasn't giving him enough credit for actually how good he is. You know, even like last week, I was saying, "Oh, he's just like a, a, a high rent version of Ricardo Mayorga," and except right. that you know he has better technique. He's much more than that. I've been selling him short, and and honestly, I thought that this was one of his best performances because he showed how much more he brings to the table. He fought far more compactly than I'm used to seeing him do. Um, partly because he was forced to be on the counter. And so, and so that's how he needed to fight. Um, Ponce bringing it to him, I think enabled him to show how, how he can fight with beautiful, short inside punches. That left hook, as you mentioned, all along was, was looking like a danger punch. It was short and it's sharp. Um, you know, all in all, I was actually more impressed with him on Saturday, the night than I had been on, on previous uh, occasions. And, Junior Welter's a pack division at the top, as we're always saying. Um, Pro Gray or Taylor would be tremendously difficult challenges for anyone. And Matthias might be an underdog going into either of those, but he's no longer an overwhelming underdog. Um, I can see how he'd win those. And actually purely on the basis of styles making fights, I'd actually love to see him go against Tiafimo Lopez, which Mm -hmm. is a fight I think could be really vulnerable for him. But yeah, I've got to be honest. I don't think I've given Superl Matias enough credit when we've discussed him. And he finally made me appreciate on Saturday night that he really is very good.
0: Well, uh, good for you for uh, owning that. Uh, It, tells me, though, that you will never make it in this sports opinionating business because there there are two approaches. One is be totally stubborn and never change your opinion, no matter what you see. Whatever you said first is what you stick with. Or option B, completely change but don't acknowledge that you ever said the opposite. And just yeah. say this is your opinion, and uh, and I know. <laughs> let people uh, haunt you on Twitter with with old clips that you'll just ignore. So yeah, I, I was
1: all set to get um to get a first take co-hosting gig
0: until this went
1: out, <laughs> you were, and then it's just you were gone.
0: So close, it's gone. Yeah. So oh. close, yeah. <laughs> well, you're stuck podcasting with me still. That's that's <laughs> about all. That's about all you're qualified for. I'm sorry to say, Kieran. Very yeah, qualified for that, but still. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's talk about the co-feature. Um, 16 months and three bouts of COVID after losing by knockout to Rajab Butayev. Welterweight Jamal James returned to the win column in front of his hometown crowd in Minneapolis, outpointing Alberto Palmetta by wide scores of 99-91 and 98-92 twice. Kieran, did you agree with those scores? How did James separate himself from the game Palmetta? And at age 34, where does Jamal James go from here? I did agree with the
1: scores. Uh, I saw some folks online had it closer, um, but... Although Palmetto had his moments, uh, I had a hard time giving him more than a couple of rounds. Uh, James controlled this by maximizing his length and reach and also by talking well into his punches from distance. He wasn't tapping out a jab from range, he was putting some real heft behind those punches and making sure that Palmetto couldn't find a way in. And honestly, Palmetto helped him. Um, he approached in straight lines. He didn't really move his head. He didn't try to slip under uh, James' long punches or step to the side. And he stayed at just the wrong distance. He stayed at exactly the spot where was right at the end of James's long punches. Um, he was able to break through, like we said, and score a few times when they were trading. But it sort of felt as if Palmetto's successes were more of just a consequence of a flow during exchanges it, it didn't feel as if oh that happened because palmetto set it up so very well it was well you know james tired a little bit at times sucked wind a little bit at times the fight got a little bit closer palmetto had his moments it, it didn't feel as if that was down to palmetto and, and what he brought into it so, um this was a good solid win i thought for for james yeah. a, a strong comeback after the loss to butaev I don't know where he sits in the welterweight division and what happens for him from here. Um, I I think the Butaev fight was a pretty good illustration of where he is in relation to the very best in the division, right? He isn't in the class of Butaev or Stanionis or Ennis or Ortiz, let alone Spencer Crawford. But that said, another good win or two could, I mean, a position to challenge one of those guys if they're looking for a, you know, an in-between fight, something like that. Um, and if Spence and Crawford do move up to 154, maybe that also creates an opening. So I don't know what comes next for him. Perhaps a fight with one you know, of the guys we recently saw square off, like a Rashidi Ellis or a Roman Via, might be interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, boxing politics permitting, he could test himself against a youngster like Alexis Ro- Rocha. But I don't know. Time's not on his side, particularly. But I think if he can get back to being reasonably busy, he can... Um, course an opportunity for himself and I, I just want to actually make one my it's a minor point okay <clears throat> but I was really interested to see him complaining in the corner about how he thought the COVID yeah. really fucked him up right like how he was cl- cl- and following which he probably walked out to center ring and outworks and outvote football medicine more boxers never cease to amaze me <laughs> right I mean the incredible mental and physical fortitude they have and that you know that applies to tommy fury and jake paul as much as guys like you know jamal james the 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 fortitude that they have to display to, to force themselves to go out round after round i mean if you've never even tried to just hit a heavy bag for a few rounds do so and you'll get a sense of what that requires let alone everything else then imagine the heavy bag punching you in the face but add to that the effects of not just one not two but three bouts of covid I'm still finding my feet after one very mild bout. So, you know, to be able to push yourself through that, particularly at a point, you know, where you're thinking, oh, my God, I think this disease has messed me up, really struck home with me. And um, we, we like to say it. I, I feel we can't say it enough. Boxers are pretty amazing.
0: Yes. Yeah. It, the, for him to go those hard rounds throwing as many punches as he did, supposedly diminished by, by yeah. COVID. I mean, it's it's yeah. The the difference between him at like three percent strength and me at my hundred percent, he's yeah. still he's still way ahead of me.
1: Indeed.
0: Indeed. Um all right, and the opener junior welterweight elvis rodriguez scored
1: two knockdowns and outpointed joseph adorno by scores of 94 94 95 93 and 97 91 um eric as we discussed last week both men were recently released by top rank and both have struggled to reach anything like their early potential uh we both picked adorno to win so how impressed were you with rodriguez and do you think he can
0: now start rebuilding himself back toward contender status so right after the fight ended, uh, recalling our conversation last week about who would make top-rank regret releasing him, yeah. I jotted down in my notes, no big regrets for top-rank. Yeah. Um I have to say, I, I respectfully disagree with a couple of my good friends on the scoring of this fight. Um, Steve Farhood had Rodriguez up four rounds to two through six. I didn't see that at all. Uh, and Bill Detloff tweeted of the incorrect knockdown call in round 10 Dude, you lost by eight rounds. No one cares if it was a slip. Um, In reality, that bad call decided the fight. Um, Like one of the judges, I thought Adorno won the first six rounds. Um, Several of them were were very close, certainly. But Adorno looked more skilled. He was boxing nicely, countering nicely, and Rodriguez wasn't throwing much and wasn't landing anything of consequence. I know they were slow rounds, and and those can be the toughest (laughs) to score. But I was paying close attention, and I really thought Adorno was winning each of those rounds. Although, you know, certainly five of six to Adorno, as one judge had it. That was basically the same thing as as me giving him six of six. So anyway, on the official cards, Adorno was up by two points on one of them, and even on another, entering the tenth. Mm. And he was winning the tenth round, totally slipped, foot came out from under him, the punch had nothing to do with it, and if that's ruled a slip if indeed the judges were going to give him round 10, then he wins a split decision. All that said, Rodriguez seems to have the superior talent. He definitely has Mm. the superior power and basically won the fight on one huge punch uh, with with a little help from that bad knockdown call, but the huge punch, what a right hook that was in round seven that froze Adorno. uh, And what a great round the rest of the way, tremendous recovery by Adorno, but, His defensive slickness from the first six rounds was gone after that, and uh, it went from a challenging fight to score to a pretty easy one to score those next couple of rounds. So, in the end, I'm not screaming robbery. I'm just saying it was a very close fight, and that knockdown call almost certainly swung the official result. Uh, But Rodriguez, he was mostly unimpressive. Uh, He just is capable, obviously, of landing that one tremendous shot, but... I don't see a future serious contender here. I think this is a case of he got away with one here, uh, but I'd be surprised if he puts it together and maximizes his talent. And Adorno, this is who he is. Not a blue-chip prospect, just a solid fighter. This is pretty much his level, it seems. Uh, Rodriguez certainly has way more upside of the two. I just don't know that he's ever going to really put it all together. Mm, That's Uh, So as you mentioned, uh, we both picked Adorno to pull off the mild upset. We both got zero points for that. You had Jamal James by unanimous decision. I had him by split decision. So you got three points to my two. And you picked Matias KO 11. I picked him KO 8. I was closer, which earns me pride (laughs) points. uh, But in terms of actual (laughs) points, two apiece. Uh, So you narrowly closed the gap this week. It was 16 to 13. Now I lead 20 to 18.
1: Almost where I want you.
0: I have no uh, idea where you want me at this point. No I don't
1: nor do I really it just okay. it's just a thing right. um all right. right that's this most recent weekend's fights taken care of. Uh, but for this week's interview let's actually go back a couple Fridays um Our guest made such an impression on the most recent showbox dropping previously undefeated John Manu four times on the way to a second round knockout win and he has such a great backstory that we really wanted to chat with him. So here he is Kurt Scooby, welcome to the Showtime boxing podcast.
2: Thank you, alhamdulillah. I'm, th- I'm very happy to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us and, uh, you know, congratulations on your win last week. Hard to ask for much more than that out of a Showbox debut. Uh, h- how was the whole experience for you? Any any nerves, any emotions, any moments that stand out?
2: Not really, man. Uh, we we actually practice these type of moments, you know what I mean? So I, I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of things that put myself in the worst state of mind. So when I get in situations like this, they're, they're easy for me. You know what I mean? Not to say that the fight was easy, but I'm just saying like, I've, I've lived this moment in my life already, you know?
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, you came out for the second round of that fight, seemingly determined to, to make it an early night. H- had you seen something in the opening round that, that made you think you could go out there and finish things early like you did?
2: I just did what my coaches told me. I listened to instructions, you know what I mean, because, like I said, when when you have coaches that are smart, they have your life in your hands in their hands, you know what I mean. So for me, as listening to instructions and and following through and doing what we've been doing in training camp and following every step that they say.
0: So were they calling specifically for the right hand that that straight yes. right hand was was the set one that was up. doing the damage? Set,
2: set it up, set it up and get it done, and uh, we've seen that um we got we can get them out of there um we don't get paid for overtime I know that's pretty that's said a lot and right. uh I, I really do mean that we train for that we don't you know I mean we have weeks and weeks of long camps but we we don't get paid for overtime. and uh people like knockouts
0: Yes, yes, they do. So, so and I'm just curious uh, did did anyone from Showtime, like Gordon Hall or, or anyone else, talk to you afterwards and, and tell you they were happy with your performance? Talk about bringing you back? Was there any conversation like that afterwards?
2: There was a, a lot of conversation, you know what I mean. But uh, I try not to let anything get into my head. Um, I just try to do step, not try, but I do step by step. So if I'm ever asked or to do anything, you know what I mean, I just make sure I'm, I'm covering my bases and. I'm focused here first, you know what I mean? So the first thing I did after the victory was I ran four miles on the treadmill. So I, just to make sure the complacency was never going to be there. And I know that I'm not done yet.
0: Like, Wait, like how soon afterwards are you on the treadmill? Like while the other fights are going on, you mean, that yeah. night? Wow, okay. Wow. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right, right, right.
2: right after
1: Oh, man. Okay. So we've got a lot to ask you because yours is such an interesting story. And, and we'll go back in a second and ask about your life and career progression. Course, but um, there's one question I, I got to ask you first. Uh, you were a running back in college and you weighed 215 pounds. You're now a professional boxer fighting at 140 pounds. How do you make that transformation?
2: Let's make a correction. I weighed in at 139. So let's get there. <laughs> 140. I got it at 139. That's the lowest. But uh, just being de- uh, dedicated to everything I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to go in 100%, you, anything in life, you're going to complete any goal that you want. And you know? I mean? You can't go into um, any goal half, I hate to say it, I don't mean to curse, but half ass and anything. You know what I mean? So I was always learning to stay disciplined and stay dedicated to my crafts. And there was times where I'm like, ah, man, I'm, I'm heavy. I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm losing this weight. But there was like, that's just a little person in my head telling me, I can't do something when in reality we can do anything in this world that's possible.
1: So so which has been harder for you or which has been easier, maintaining 215 pounds as a footballer or or fighting at 140 pounds as a boxer?
2: Hard work is easy work, so I don't believe in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just being me, man, I think every day we wake up and uh, I, I'm thankful for the little things in life. And uh, just waking up, that's, that's a huge blessing to me. So I don't think any um, – any of those tasks that you name were were hard for me.
1: Well, wow, like, what is a more natural weight for you? Like a more natural? You're about five eight. Like two fifteen feels like it's a lot of weight to carry around. Right. Is is this a bit easier for you? A bit better for you?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, I can turn my neck now. <laughs> I didn't have no neck at that time. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can see what's behind me nowadays. You know what I mean? So I mean, uh, maneuver and I'm able to run a little faster. But you know, we we adapted correctly.
0: Um. All right. So so. Tell us a, a little bit about where you came from and, and what your early life was like. You, you grew up in Los Angeles County. And from what I've read about you, it's, it seems it was a, a pretty rough childhood in a lot of ways. Is that right?
2: Yes, that's correct. But, uh, you know, those type of times, man, Like the hard lifestyle is just that uh, is what made me who I am today. And uh, I'm just I'm just getting better each and every day. And um, I grew up in Duarte, California, where there was a lot of gang violence. Um, there's just a lot of nonsense that's going on that could uh, carry a person going the, a different way in a different direction instead of going straight, you know what I mean? But I was able to understand that sports was um, a key a, a key component to me, just being able to not have that outside noise. So I kept myself busy all the time. And, um, you know, there's a lot of times where I had a lot of friends that aren't here anymore, you know what I mean? And, um that's that's what created me to be who I am today and be focused and understand that if a person falls in front of me that I can't fall off the same like same mistake that he did so understanding that at, at a young age and and also going through foster care and seeing so many different personalities and how people behave um just picking up picking up things like that and growing up such at a young age and having been an adult at the age of Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So, I love it. I, I can't. I can't complain about not one thing about it. Hmm.
0: Wow. I mean, it's it's incredible to sort of draw such positivity from difficult circumstances. Uh, it's interesting. You know, you note the the importance of, of sports for you and and having that. Uh, you know, to to focus. You had you not found sport Do you do you ever find yourself dwelling on if I hadn't found sports, I might have gone down that bad path.
2: Yes, of course. And I, I'm, I'm unfortunate. I had really good people that kept me in that, in that grounding of sports. You know what I mean? So I was always in football. Or I was always doing boxing. So that's why I, I, my story leads up to both of those football and boxing because those are two components that actually help me help me become who I am. And they're they're two disciplined sports. You know what I mean? So in, in order to be on time for football or going to be running laps or you making weight for for boxing those are two disciplined sports that I believe molded me for who I am today Did
1: you um have the chance to watch boxing a lot as a kid is that one of the things that got you into boxing and I'm curious if you did if there were any fighters that you really idolized when you were
2: Of course of course I love Turner, uh, Pernell Whitaker Sweet Pea I loved him and just the way he was and for me I was always agile and on football and in boxing, so just to carry that style, and I would always do a little haircut, you know, too. So I would try to do that, and of course, you know, as I was, I was young, and Floyd Mayweather was always coming up, so it always, I would always watch boxing, i always watch boxing, because when you do a sport, you you tend to like get tired of it sometimes, and you want to watch something else, you know. I mean, you always don't, you can't, like, you always can't like just bug yourself with I'm um, watching football all day long. So I would watch boxing just to kick, like, take my mind off of it, you know? Hmm.
1: How about now? Uh, fighters who are active now. Any guys you particularly like or women who you particularly like watching or you maybe, like, try to learn some stuff from?
2: Yeah, um, there's there's this guy, um, uh, Kurt Scooby. I, I don't know, man. Just, <laughs> I, I don't know, He's I like overrated. <laughs> I like his boxing style. I don't know what it is, but I I, I tend to study him a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Now that you mentioned it, you kind of remind me of him. Now,
0: now that you bring him up. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, man. But there's a lot of people I like to watch. I like to watch Shakur. Um, I like Terrence. You know, I like like, like all the guys that are doing things because, like I said, they're at the top level for a reason. So why not watch them and pick up some things that I can use on my my own? You know what I mean? So
0: on the football side, how did you first get into playing football? And did you know immediately that you had a talent for it?
2: Oh, yeah. I knew immediately because, like I said, I had, I had talent and I, I had skills, you know what I mean? And I always went by this, this method and the movie quote was, uh, the saddest thing in the world is a waste of talent. And I was always playing and that's a bronze tail, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was always playing on the streets, football, playing streets and football. And I was juking the guys. I was juking at the, the bigger guys than me. And I was like, uh, I, I want to play football, but at the time to sign up, you have to pay for it. So I would always have friends that, um, during football season they would just leave and i'm like dang i'll be the only kid on my block that would just stay i'm like dang where, where's everybody going and uh finally one of the parents his name was ray mcgee um that's a late friend of mine but his parents actually took him to sign up and they're like oh he's good he's good enough to you don't have to we don't have to pay you know what i mean And i was like "Unfortunately, i'm like thank god and i weighed in and it it took off from there and i truly believe that um that day is when my whole life changed because I, I knew that football was a, a way out of my circumstances. So
0: so what age was that that you first formally got to start playing football? I want to say eight. Oh, OK. Eight, yeah. All right. Nice and young. OK. Yeah. Um, and and then, you know, you went through, had a great college career. You were scouted by at least a couple of NFL teams. Um, you had these exceptional numbers that you put up in college. How optimistic were you that you actually were going to get signed in the NFL?
2: Very optimistic because, I mean, I worked out every day. So in order for a person to work out every day, he's, he believes he's going to live the dream. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, there was a time where I got I, it's hard for a person to admit mistakes but i believe that my story will will help a lot of other people that are in my position um i got i got really big-headed and i um i started to listen to the outside noise that oh he's good he's this this and that and um i always worked but i always knew that um four would take care of me when i when i was using the attributes of okay i have to understand real life situations football isn't going to be here all the time so maybe focus more on school maybe focus more on my personality or maybe focus on you know what i mean just like just little things in life you know what i mean and i got big headed and uh i just i didn't i started not to love football the way i wanted to you know what i mean and uh, i truly believe if you don't love something you can definitely get hurt in it
1: um so what was the point where you thought okay football thing isn't working now i'm going to really dedicate myself back to boxing again
2: the next day I remember the day like it was yesterday. The next day, because I knew, like I said, the saddest thing in the world is the waste of talent, and I knew boxing was, like I hate to say, A and B, like Plan A and Plan B, but I never really had a Plan A and Plan B. I just knew, all right, boxing, and uh, it was like losing the next day, and I was like, because of course that uh, the day the day before I was like I was going through it, and I was like, dang, like course you can fall to a like a, a mental depression i don't want to say but it was only it was one day and then the next day i was right and i was in the car and i drove myself to the boxing box gym and everybody welcomed me like it was it was home again and i knew that I uh, had a place here in boxing
1: and i love the story please share it with our listeners how you wound up going from la county to gleason's gym in brooklyn I I love that story. Please tell us how that happened.
2: Yes. Uh, I met a beautiful girl. Her name is Christy Bonacci. Um, she she changed my life. And I truly believe once you find a woman in, in this world that's with you and down for you and loyal to you, they'll always push you forward. You know what I mean? So I um I met her and I had an amateur I was an amateur fight at Gleason's boxing gym and uh we were training at church street just to get some rounds in and um uh, i i seen christy my girlfriend and i was like i said something the, i said the worst pickup line in the world i said i seen a knee brace and i was like oh what are you doing running in thames and she looked at me and she was mad and she's like what are you talking about And i was like Oh man i think i messed that up <laughs> um, and uh i ended up going back home and didn't end, end up talking to her and um it was during the pandemic when like the hardest like part of the world. And at a time I got kicked out of the place I was living in, you know what I mean? So I was going house to house to house and and being in the worst place in the world, worst part of the time in the world. And um I just I, I called her and I was like, yo, I'm I'm just gonna bring my my two fists and, and one bag. And I and I I think she she definitely believed me. And I bought and I got the ticket, and the ticket was like eleven dollars. And I was like, "Oh yeah, we're we're going." And it was like <laughs> the worst part of, like, the world, and you're traveling. I got on the plane, and literally, there was no seat, so I I, I could have sat. I sat anywhere. I feel like I was like a little kid. I was like floating in the, in the aisles. I'm like, guys, there's no one here. But um, coming to New York, man, I I I gave myself a few days where I was like, "Dang, if I if I can't find a coach, or if I can't find um." individuals, certain individuals that I truly need. And that was a big part of me. And finding Don Saxby and Leon Cat Taylor, that, that changed my whole life because I knew their hearts were in it. You know what I mean? They weren't just in it because a, a boxer can make money for you nowadays. They were in it because they truly, genuinely cared about me as a person. You know what I mean? And I knew that by, by just being around them for what, two hours. And I work out and I, I ran home. I ran the Brooklyn Bridge And so my girlfriend, like, you know, I found my my two coaches. Like, I I ran home, like, happy, like, joy tears, and I was excited about everything. And uh, that's my whole journey, and my journey is still going.
0: It it certainly is. And so that's a a perfect setup for the last thing that we want to ask you about, which is the future. You told us uh, the key moments that got you to this point, uh, and you certainly made a big first impression uh, on a lot of people with the Showbox win. Now, what's next for you? And do and you have a timeline in mind for your career?
2: Um, that's, uh, I would, a lot of my friends call me an alien because I don't believe in, I hate to say this, I don't really believe in time. <laughs> I just <laughs> wake up and understand that I have goals to do. And um, a lot of people ask, what's next? Uh, I have Ramadan, I'm I'm I'm, I'm Muslim. So okay. I have to take care of that first. And um, that's a huge goal of mine. You know what I mean? So once I take care of that, I believe that Allah Himself will give me anything that you know. What I mean, that's that's looking forward to. So, so, what I do is I think, step by step, day by day, and uh, if the opportunity is presented, we'll be ready, hundred percent. We don't stop training. I have, like I said, I have a ring in my my house. You know what I mean. So they say we training or we get a fight. I'm, I'm I'm a few steps away from a ring, so they get that going.
0: Yeah, you strike me as someone who uh there are no days off, you're never out of shape. Uh if I I'm, I'm almost surprised now that I've gotten to know you a little bit. I'm almost surprised that you weren't working out throughout this
2: interview. <laughs> oh no, no. I was working out on the train. I had a band and I was like not on the train but on the on the bus. I'm like stretching uh-huh. just in case but after this workout if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to see me in the gym. I promise. Okay. I promise you <laughs> <that>. all right <laughs> I'm gonna hey. sit down for, for a certain amount of time without moving so right <laughs>
1: Kurt, this has been great man this has been fantastic i'm really glad that we reached out to you to do this interview you made a real impression on showbox you made a real impression on the podcast thank you so much for joining us and this will not be the last time we talk i'm sure of it
2: oh definitely thank you so much and this like i said you both invite me to this this platform and um i'm just truly thankful for that you know what i mean and i generally i generally mean that and i just i'm I'm very thankful thanks kurt it's been great talking to you that
1: was amazing uh kurt scooby is totally my
0: new phasey. can we have him on every week <laughs> that was great yeah every every week you, people may get tired of him but i'll, I'll go every other week Not us. Support that. <laughs> right right we wouldn't yeah, no. What a what a, what a great guy. Uh, such a such a joy to talk to. His positive attitude is uh, is really something. the uh, The hot streak by the Raskin and Mulvaney booking department continues.
1: <laughs> that, that's right. And I'll tell you what, I'm so inspired. I'm going to knock out four miles on the treadmill right after this podcast.
0: <laughs> Maybe uh, four steps. Four steps on the <laughs> treadmill. Is that yeah. equivalent I'm for you?
1: Four steps to the kitchen.
0: Okay. Perfect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, all right, look, this week's top five challenge follows on directly from our new BFF's sparkling debut on Showbox. Um, it might be a bit of a challenge for you, Eric, in that it will require delving deep into the memory banks, but it has an advantage that there are literally no wrong answers. This is one of those where you okay. you, you cannot be wrong. And it, it's also very hard to imagine we'll have the same lists. Um, it is this. And you'll see what I mean when I say it sort of follows on from, from Scooby's debut. I want you to give me your top five instances of seeing a boxer for the first time. It can be from ringside. It can be on TV, whatever, and thinking, wow, that was great. I want to see him or her again. It doesn't necessarily follow that they then went on to have a great career. And if you saw them again, that they were actually any good, they may have looked great early on, they may have flamed out as they moved up the ladder nor does it necessarily have to be super early in their career. Just the first time that you saw them or remember seeing them. So that's And that's what I say when I mean there's no wrong answer. It's like totally a case of this is what I recall. These are my favorite instances of this. So what do you think? Is that something you can work with?
0: Yeah, 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 I like that. Um, Yeah, a couple of options are are popping right into my mind. It strikes me immediately as the kind of top five list where – I am bound to forget someone. Uh but Oh gosh, yeah, me too. Or, or many someones, but uh but but that's okay. So uh yeah, I like it. Um and uh yeah, I don't know if you've uh, if you've ever heard this, Kieran, but uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Oh, no,
1: that's right. Yeah, that's true. That's what, uh, what they
0: say. What's it, what's that an say. I feel like that was an ad slogan for something.
1: Was it? Could have been. Maybe. But obviously it didn't make a great first impression on either of us because we don't remember <laughs> what it was. Not.
0: I guess not. <laughs> I, I, I certainly hope that that saying does not apply to podcasts because I, I can't imagine anyone enjoying <laughs> us at first. I feel like we're very much in a Unless they just randomly showed up in the middle of the Kurt Scooby interview, at which point they think, this is great stuff. <laughs> that's a good point. If that's the first thing you listen to, you would wonder why we're not number one on all podcast rankings.
1: Indeed. Indeed. Exactly. All right. Uh, we've done a lot of looking back. Let's dial it forward now and look ahead to next weekend's fights. Um, There's one big card for us to preview and it's on Showtime, a triple header from the Toyota Arena in Ontario, California with a featherweight main event between Brandon Figueroa and Mark Magsayo. Uh, Figueroa is a familiar name to all our listeners, I'm sure. He enters this contest with a record of 23-1-1 one one with 18 KOs, and that one defeat came by majority decision to Stephen Coolboy Steph Fulton in a 122-pound unification in November 2021. And Showtime viewers have seen Maxayo lift a featherweight title from a one-armed Gary Russell Jr. and lose it in an exciting contest with Ray Vargas. The Filipino has a record of 24-1 with 16 KOs. Eric, what's at stake here for Figueroa specifically? And what does he have to secure the win? And uh, give us a pick for the main event.
0: There's a lot at stake here for Figueroa. I mean, consider. So uh, on July 9th of last year at the Alamo Dome, Figueroa moved up to featherweight, beat Carlos Castro by sixth round stoppage in a tough fight. And up next that night in the main event was Vargas versus Magsayo. And Figueroa called out the winner, uh, not knowing yet who would win. Eight months later, he returns to the ring, not against the winner, but against the loser of that fight. Not by much. It was a split decision that Magsayo lost to Vargas. But anyway, Figueroa gets the loser of that fight instead of the winner. The winner went on to lose to Oshaki Foster. Figueroa's rival, Fulton, has moved on to a major showdown with Noé Inouye. Figueroa, he's in a must-win spot here against Mm Magsayo if he wants to be taken seriously calling out Foster calling out the, in a way, Fulton winner, calling out, say, Mauricio Lara. You know, he wins. He's an ideal opponent for any of those guys. He loses to Max who lost close to Vargas. And I'd say Figueroa kind of moves to the middle of the pack for now. Mm. Um, and I, I should note, he had a spotty performance against Castro before ultimately stopping him. I guess he, he often does. You know, Figueroa isn't the type to dominate from bell to bell. His output can vary from round to round. He'll switch stances a lot. He gets hit a fair amount. When he's on, when he's digging hard to the body, he's a handful. But, you know, there can be some inconsistency there. Um, Same could be said of Maxio, of course, who has power and explosiveness and also gives rounds away and has gone to a split decision and a majority decision in his last two. So you asked, what does Figueroa need to do to win? Uh, First off, I think fight more out of the orthodox stance than he has been. I, I think... It looks to me like he's more comfortable in the orthodox stance and does his better work that way. You know, mix it up a bit, of course. The switch stance is some. But, you know, Magsayo beat a southpaw in Russell. So I'm not sure this is the fight to go heavy on the southpaw approach. He has to go to the body. And he will. He always does. But uh, but But that's how he hurts, guys. Attack relentlessly and bang to the body. And you know ultimately if it's a one for one trade of punches if it's just a pure fight which which i think this very well could be i do think that favors figueroa cuz i believe he has the better chin and the better balance i, I think he's just the slightly better overall fighter and uh, the oddsmakers agree they have uh, the heartbreaker around a 3 to 1 favorite and it seems about right to me. If anything, maybe I thought it'd be a little tighter than that, but that's in the yeah. ballpark. Um, and the odds also, they slightly favor a decision win for Figueroa over a KO win, but I'll deviate from that as I make my pick. Um, I'll say the body work adds up, and in a fight that's real close, maybe maybe even like dead even through eight or nine rounds, Figueroa starts to hurt Maxayo to the body, starts to overwhelm him drops him a time or two, and forces a stoppage in round 11. That's my pick. Uh, Now let me turn it over to you and ask you a similar question about Mike This is his third consecutive main event on Showtime. Uh, In his previous two, as you mentioned, we've seen him score an upset win against a celebrated opponent and then lose a close fight in which he scored a knockdown. How important is it for him to get the win over Figueroa if he wants to be invited back for a fourth appearance? And Make your pick. Do you think he'll get that win?
1: So I'm not trying to equate Mark Magsayo to Arturo Gaddi, but his fighting <laughs> style and the excitement factor, and the quality of opposition he's been facing back to back to back, makes me think that unless he looks terrible or is dominated or simply fails to show up, there's every likelihood he'll be invited back for for a fourth time, um, even if he loses. The same way that Gadi was repeatedly asked back onto HBO even when he went through that string of, of, of defeats to uh, Ivan Robinson and Angel Manfredi, because people know that he's going to come back and put up a good effort. And, and I think that's true of Max. he was an entertaining guy to, guy to watch. Um, I, I see no reason based on his existing performances to suspect that, you know, he will fail to show up. Um, he might well lose, but I don't see him, being dominated here, and, and obviously what Magsayo wants to do is is do more than just do well enough to come back for a fourth uh, appearance. He wants to sort of take Figueroa's place, really, um, uh, in, in looking to, to challenge the, the top of the featherweight division and, and maybe try to get a title back here. The challenge for Magsayo, I think, is that he's very good at punching between his opponent's punches, uh, slipping that first shot and firing back before the guy in front of him can can even launch a second often. But that's really difficult to do against Figueroa because he just doesn't give you the space to do that. Figueroa is very good at sucking you into his game, whether he's working from outside or more often on the inside or or frequently even a, a hybrid of both. Um, like you said, Figueroa can lose concentration and get tagged at times and, and give rounds away. But but generally, he, he is not the one who gets sucked into the opponent's game. The one time he sort of did that was against Julio Seja, and that nearly cost him. And I think generally, he has the focus and concentration. And as you said, the, the talent and the skill to not do that. And it's also often a controlled aggression from Figueroa. Like you said, he, he can get into a real Pier 6 brawl, but he you know, generally tries to make it kind of a controlled fight. What Maxayo needs to do, stay on his toes, try to fight at mid-range, try to get Figueroa to reach and lunge, and then strike and move. That's what Maxayo needs to do. Strike, move, strike, move. He has to keep doing that. If he allows himself to stand flat-footed in front of Figueroa for too long, or if he comes at Figueroa in straight lines, I think Figueroa will swarm him and take him apart. And conversely, if he stands too far outside... Figueroa can pick him apart at range. So it's it's a real challenge here for for Magsayo. Nonetheless, I've been so impressed with him that I had a hard time initially picking this. But ultimately, I came to a similar conclusion to you that Figueroa probably has too many tools, too many ways to win. And and I think the combination of his extra range, that chin that you mentioned, um, and his tremendous motor will be enough for him to adapt better Perhaps after Maxayo gets a better start, I think he winds up frustrating Maxayo down the stretch, but I think Maxayo will make it to the end, and so I'm going to pick uh, Brandon Figueroa by unanimous decision. All right. Um, the co sees the return of Jarrett Hurd, whose career has not unfolded the way he would have hoped after his fight of the year win over Erislandy Lara in 2018. Um, He's returning Heard after a 21-month absence from the ring. He's putting his record of 24-2 with 16 KOs on the line against 23-year-old Jose Rosendes, who is 23-1 with 9 KOs. Eric, based on what we've seen, what do you think Heard has left? And is it going to be enough to overcome his young opponents?
0: Yeah, that, that's the million-dollar question, um, or the uh, up-to-five-picks-competition-points question uh, in <laughs> our case. Um, I'll, I'll say first off on this, this looks like a very fan-friendly style matchup. Uh, we know that Jarrett Hurd has never had much interest in defense, and uh, the same is true of Jose Rosendez. zero-head movement. He's young, he's strong, he's talented, and he trusts in his ability to stand in front of guys and outpunch them. He's game, seem, seems like a gutsy young fighter. He stays strong deep into a fight. But all that said, he seems a level below Jared Hurd, or at least the Jared Hurd of 2018 or so. So so it comes back to your question. What does Hurd have left? He's 32. Um, he had the thrilling win over Lara that may have taken a lot out of him because 13 months later, he lost a sensational fight to Julian Williams. And two years after that, he lost again in an upset to Luis Arias. Both close losses, but still signs that Heard was probably slowing down significantly from being in one grueling fight after another. Uh, now, as you said, he hasn't fought in a year and nine months. Um, I think that may be a good thing. Uh, it was unfortunately due in part to Herd's dad dying and him mm. wanting to take time off and needing to grieve. But whatever the reason... It probably was good at this particular point in Hurd's career for him to not fight for a while and let his body heal. Now Mm. we're going to find out if he has another run in him. Uh, He's working with a new trainer, Andrew Council, who I remember watching challenge Mm. Bernard Hopkins for a middleweight belt back in 1997. Resendez serves as a measuring stick. Uh, He's strong. He hasn't been tested much. When he did step up a bit, he lost a close one to Marcos Hernandez. The best Resendez we've seen against the best herd we've seen, isn't a close fight. But Rosenda's could well be better on Saturday than the best version that we've seen so far. And Hurd, you know, who knows exactly what to expect, but he's certainly not going to be his prime self. I think this is a tremendously interesting fight. Should be a fun fight, as long as you can still enjoy watching Herd take punches. Yep. Mileage can vary a bit on that. Um, but anyway, to make a pick... This is tough, but I guess I'll go with the pedigree and say that Hurd can turn back the clock a little bit, but only a little bit. I'm going to take Hurd by split decision. How about you? <laughs> um,
1: yeah, look, Hurd has not looked at all impressive since that went over Lara. Um, of course, a lot of his issues, and we've talked about this before and we've talked about him, have been caused by his continuing to try to squeeze his massive frame into too low of a weight. Um, he outgrew junior medal long before he actually stopped trying to be a junior middleweight um right. he was technically at middleweight against luis arias the limit was 158 and yeah, maybe even those final two pounds limited him somewhat honestly i'd rather see him as super middleweight if he's going to fight at all given his frame um it's difficult for all the reasons that you just said I- i'm not sure that hurt has much left at all it- it's not just his weight issues it's his habit of soaking up punishment early and then coming back late. that That's just his whole style. It's just going to take yeah. a lot out of you over a while. And and then, you know, he went 17 months out of the ring before losing to Arias, then another 21 months. Like uh, you said, maybe that's good for him. I i don't know. Uh, he may be completely done, uh, in which case Resendez may have himself a famous victory here. Right. Um, but having said that, also, from what I've seen, I don't think resenders is anything special either. Um, I hesitate to pick Herd based on how he's looked of late. But I'm not convinced that resenders is quite good enough. Unless, as you said, Herd really is gone. Um, I think if Hurd's got anything left at all, he's got enough to scrape by. I think he scrapes by a little bit bit less of a scrape than you said i'm gonna pick majority decision okay Jarrett heard but not with any confidence here actually we could this could absolutely have the makings of what well, on paper is an upset but in practice is a result that will all go well we saw that coming
0: yeah this well, this continues a trend for us so far this year i think we've been picking the same fighter to win these last couple of cards but but never yes. quite the exact yep. same result
2: yep. um
0: yep. So uh, we've just referred to the 23-year-old Resendez as young, but he's Methuselah compared to one of the two boxers in the opening bout on this card. Elijah Garcia is just 19. Uh, he's from Phoenix. He has a record of 13-0 with 11 KOs, and he takes on Uruguay's Amílcar Vidal, who's a bit older at 27. He's 16-0 with 12 knockouts. Kieran, give us your assessment of these two middleweights and make your pick.
1: So we've seen Amilcar Vidal a couple of times before on Showtime, as listeners may remember. Um, Back in November 2019, he wiped out Zach Prieto inside a round on Showbox. Uh, But he was made to work harder in securing a majority decision win over Emmanuel Aleem on Showtime Championship Boxing in July 2021. He is long and lanky, and he does a great job of torquing his power punches from range. There are, sometimes when I watch him, I think to myself, gosh, this is almost how you would expect Sebastian Fandora to fight, mm-hmm. even if he isn't quite as length- lengthy as our friend Sebastian. And I mean that in the sense that, yeah, he likes, to, he likes to get in and dig in and fight, but he doesn't get in the pocket and do it. He tries to take advantage a little bit of the torque that he can get on his long, on his long arms. If you can get past those punches to fight him on the inside, you can do some damage. That's how Alim found some success in their contest, but it is literally a tall order. Um, I've seen some video of Garcia, but not a lot. Um, he hasn't faced anyone of any consequence at all. Um, he's only faced five opponents with winning records and only one with double digit wins to which one might reasonably say, oh yeah, he's freaking 19 years old. Would you expect of the man? Um, What little I've seen of him does not suggest to me that he is in any way ready for Vidal. I I applaud the lad for wanting to challenge himself. He says he wants to be a champion at like 21, 22. This feels too much too soon to me. Uh, I suspect this will be the shortest fight of the night. Um, Garcia just doesn't leap off the screen to me. doesn't make me feel that this is a guy who does anything spectacularly well or particularly well. It looks like he squares up a lot. I think he's in for a bit of a rough time, actually, to be honest with you. I see him being cracked repeatedly and early, um, possibly dropped once or twice, and stopped either by his corner or the referee in the fourth
0: round. Okay, well, we once again have the same winner, not the exact same pick. Um, Yeah, I I think I've seen probably all the same uh, fights of these guys that you have. I looked back at that KO one over Zach Prieto, really proved very little. Prieto was a, a rare case of maybe a not-so-Showbox-worthy fighter getting onto Showbox. Um, against Emmanuel Aleem, we learned a lot more. We know Fidal is solid. Garcia, certainly the unknown quantity here, as you said, hasn't faced anyone close to this level yet. But he's not wasting any time at 19 taking a shot. Um, I watched his most recent fight. Uh, I was on a Showtime undercard stream called by the the Morning Combat Boys. <laughs> um, it was a KO2 against a mediocre opponent just couldn't tell too much um Mm. so in the end for this pick i I started by asking myself this question can i pick against a bob santos fighter right now (laughs) and the answer is no no i cannot (laughs) uh so give me vidal uh who has fought at this level a few times already but i think it's going to be a more competitive fight i'm taking him by competitive but clear-cut unanimous decision um but uh Once again, I got to I got to shill a bit and give it to the matchmakers. I I feel like every fight on this card looks very competitive on paper. You disagree with me on this last one, perhaps. But uh, for me, just like last week, uh, no no easy picks here for me.
1: But you will. Part of you will be quietly rooting for me to be right, because it'll make for a slightly shorter (laughs) night.
0: I'll be rooting for you, at least not to get the round exactly right. If it's going to be a short night, do it in one round, Vidal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's really make it a short night. Exactly. All right, let's conclude the podcast this week with The Fight Game. Um, Eric, you've been doing a great job of hiding it, but I know you haven't been feeling particularly well this weekend, so... I've decided to give you a little bit of a gentle lob over the net, as oh. it were, for you to smash. I think you've got... I think See, you'll the
0: problem this. is, though, that you say that, and now the pressure is five, on. Like, <laughs> now it's like, well, if I get it in two, well, that was right. so easy. That's not even an accomplishment. And if it takes me three or four, then I've kind of failed. So I, I don't know. I think you're making this worse, Kieran. The psychological battle is, <laughs> is intense. Yes.
1: <laughs> All right. Are you ready for this?
0: Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. All right, then. Okay.
1: This battle between two Hall of Famers underlined that, while some comebacks are successful, by and large, it's a good idea for the retired
0: to stay retired. Okay. So they're both Hall of Famers. Presumably just one of them was making a comeback, although I guess it's possible they both were. But let's assume, one. I'm going to assume, somebody who was making a comeback after having been gone... And uh, it did not go well. So I will say the boy, would you uh, the first thing that's coming to my mind would mean you repeating the same fighter that you gave me just a time or two ago. The first thing that's coming to my mind, this is not my guest yet. I'm I'm talking out loud. The first thing coming to (laughs) my mind is Terry Norris and Sugar Ray Leonard. They're both Hall of Famers. It was a rather unsuccessful comeback, but I feel like you would not give me Sugar Ray Leonard unless uh, th- this soon again. So I'm going to correct. I'm not going. Okay. So all right, that's not my. That's not my guess. Um, okay. All right. So somebody else who made a comeback, took on a Hall of Famer, and it did not go well. I'm trying to remember. Like who else? Nobody else is springing right to mind. So I either okay. have to uh, do a, a fit to officially lodge a guess. I'll say the one that I know is already wrong. Sugar Ray Leonard and Terry Nars. Okay. Uh, Cause All yeah, right. I'm not, nothing else is springing to mind. So let's, let's go to clue two. Okay. However, after being stopped in the 15th round of this world
1: championship bout, the loser graciously said that quote, I could never have whipped him at my best. I couldn't have hit him. I couldn't have reached him in a thousand years.
0: Okay, so definitely in the 15-round era, which did extend into the early 80s, but was probably earlier than that. Uh, I'm I'm already reaching that moment of feeling like somebody out there listening is like, oh, come on, this is obvious. You, everyone knows I this I feel quote. that all the
1: time, as you know, like <laughs>
0: yes. constantly, yeah. Yes, Um. all right, so a Hall of Famer. Read me the quote one more time, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I could never
1: have whipped... And here he put actually the name of his comp. I would never have whipped dot, dot, dot at my best. I couldn't have hit him. I couldn't have reached him in a thousand years.
0: So someone who took on somebody who was truly great, like, like, you know, tried to come back and take on an an Ali and got embarrassed or something like could it have been, but Floyd Patterson fought him twice. And so even if the second one was on a comeback, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I don't had Archie Moore possibly retired before coming back to fight Ali. Oh, but it was KO 15. That's, that's the key detail I'm forgetting. You have to be KO'd in the 15th round. Um, because uh, that definitely was not what happened with Archie Moore when he fought Ali. Uh, someone that Sugar Ray Robinson, that, that, that like Henry Armstrong lose by KO 15 to Sugar Ray Robinson. I can't remember what the result I'll of that was. I'll give you a half was. clue. Okay, yes. I, I could use a half clue You're right about getting now. Getting closer. Okay, I'm in I'm in the right era with some You're approaching the right. I'm approaching. You're closer the right to era. the right era than you were when you said Sugar Ray Leonard Terry Norris, I'll say that much. <laughs> okay. But I probably haven't said the right answer yet. Um, I'm not uh, saying you're in the right era, I'm saying Right, you're approaching right, 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 right. Uh, is there's someone who came back and got stopped by Joe Lewis? Um, who had been previous champ who'd retired did like max bear come out of retirement to lose to joe lewis in the 15th round i don't know but that's uh that's the guess i'll throw out there right now that i don't think could possibly be correct
1: okay you okay um (laughs) it's not correct
0: okay all right all right clue three and yeah
1: okay um yeah, I'm not sure how helpful this clue is, actually. The, the winner <laughs> is considered one of the best champions of all time, but he would only defend his belt successfully four more times before losing by KO, and he would never be allowed to fight for the crown again.
0: All right, so he's an all-time great, but he only defended it four more times. What, what was the rest of that, the clue there?
1: And he would never be allowed to fight for the crown again.
0: Okay. Um, so I'm like thinking now through like sort of the Jack Dempsey, Jack Johnson era, whether maybe now I'm going back too far um, and maybe I'm screwing myself up by thinking of heavyweights at all. Again, I'm trying to think of someone who made an, an ill-advised comeback and lost to someone so great that it would make them say, I couldn't have beat him even when I was in my prime. That's so it's so it's really got to be an all time great. Um, well, they're both they're both in the Hall of Fame. Boy, I am uh, coming up pretty empty here. Uh, I'm going I'm going to blame this cold that I'm fighting. Okay, and uh, ask you to uh, move on to clue four and i'm hoping clue four contains it because i'm I'm going to say i was going to say i hope it contains some indication of weight class because i feel like i don't know quite where to target there but maybe it'll give it away regardless of that
1: no this one will literally give it to you on a plate um after this fight the loser stayed retired living in california periodically training fighters promoting fights and farming alfalfa Uh.
0: So wait now. Okay. So, oh, all right. Okay. Yes. Now it is. I, it's um Jack Johnson beating yes. Jeff yeah Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, now it all adds up. I was not going quite far enough back in history until I started to think of Jack Johnson. But and now that now that I have the answer, I can say like, oh, yeah, I guess I had heard that quote. And oh, yes, it certainly does make sense that even at his best, he never would have beaten him. And yep, he came back from a, it was an ill advised. All your clues were accurate. Now that I know the answer. <laughs> so yeah yes. i was not I was, was not I was not sure it gives one superpowers the common yeah. colds apparently takes them away yeah this was uh i would say all in all my uh, least impressive performance trying to guess on the fight game but at least it didn't go to clue five we haven't had to go to clue five just yet right and had you not gotten this one i would have been disappointed uh, the clue
1: five would have been uh the fight was known for the ugliest ugliness of its build-up and even of its rationale and even for its rationale uh, the loser was brought out of retirement as the great white hope to defeat the black champion and when the fight was over race riots broke out across the
0: country do i do, will will i redeem myself somewhat if i'm able to tell you the date of the fight off the top of my head oh yeah G- that'd be, that'd good. that would be that be yeah that'll be great <laughs> so i believe it was fought, fought on the 4th of July and was, was it 1910? Yep. All right. So uh, half half credit back for having known that once I once the fight had been uh, figured out, that I actually know the date of it off the top of my head. You know what else I didn't realize this until I looked it up? Like why you and I would have loved this fight it started at 1 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> nice so that's that's, well that's still four on the east coast Uh, we're getting into napping (laughs) napping
1: territory Uh, (laughs) and it's and it's dangerous because i'm not sure that there was a round limit but was there would there have been a round limit like it's interesting to me that i thought oh this is kind of a a cool little clue the fact that he stopped him in the 15th round because that could really throw you off a little bit right um whereas if he'd stopped him in the 27th round right then obvious. it would
0: then it would have like, i don't know if it, it was four funny.
1: 15 rounds or an indefinite number of rounds or or what the deal yeah was. that's
0: a good question and i don't know and i i was not there for this fight to uh <laughs> to tell you uh but boy oh boy uh sugar a leonard and terry norris i was way off with my initial thought Oh, but, a, but an excellent response to that clue, actually. So, right, a, perfect, a perfectly yeah. viable option at that point in the guessing game, but uh, but about about 80, 80 years or so uh, off of uh, where I needed to be thinking. Of course, the great thing about,
1: uh, you yeah, had it been Leonard and Norris, the clue would have been that fighters should have stayed retired but the loser didn't pay any attention to the lesson that he should have learned and came out of retirement again later and
0: right. took another beating or something. He, but, he paid attention to it for five years or so, at least <laughs> got it, exactly. Got inducted into the hall of fame and then fought again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. That will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we will be back next week to run the rule over Brandon Figueroa versus Mark Magsayo and to look ahead to Timzu Versus Tony Harrison, all on Showtime, which is off to a really good uh, start to the year. Um, until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.